Welcome back to Rockhound Radio, your podcast for gaming and then everything and anything in between. From ghosts and ghouls to Bigfoot to horror myths to Pokemon to D&D, we got it all here. Thanks for tuning in. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. It's Friday, time for the weekend, and man, oh man, what a weekend it's going to be. Well, maybe, I guess. Ohio's supposed to get snow. There'll be an epic uh, conclusion of a giant battle over on the Drunken Spear Tabletop Gaming, our D&D podcast, where uh, Cameron's a DM and we go on all these crazy mythical wild adventures. But uh, yeah, you have to tune in for that. We'll be recording that tomorrow, so be on the lookout for the new episode on that. So yeah, it's going to be uh, intense, going to be wild. But for now, we're going to dive into a little bit of something uh, a little crazy on its own. So... I got to thinking, I was like, man, I wonder, I wonder what I should talk about today. And then it just kind of came to me, almost like I predicted what was going to happen. I predicted that I was just going to find something random to talk about, and uh, that's what happened. So today, we're going to be talking about, I don't know, the top however many. I got a couple of sites pulled up. These, This is off the History Channel, history.com.uk, actually, to, technically speaking. Um, the Let's see here. Seven historical predictions that came true. I thought it'd be cool to just, I don't know, the the future and people calling things and things of that nature have always been kind of very fascinating to me, especially I kind of read through like the the first three, like the first one, I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. Second one, I was like, well, yeah. And the third one, I was like, yeah, I got debt. We're talking about all this. So, you know, I will delay no further. So it says here, superpowers are not always confined to the cinema screen. While, or will, yeah, blah, blah, whilst people have yet to possess the ability of independent flight or invincibility, some have claimed to master the art of foresight. Most predictions from history have been nothing more than a hopeful punt, but some have uncannily hit the nail on the head. Let's take a look at seven predictions that have turned out to be correct. Number one, Alexis... Yeah, or yeah, Alexis D. Tocqueville, prediction date, 1840, prediction, the Cold War. French aristocrat, yeah, yeah, God, it's all, it's too early for that. <clears throat> Let's start over. French aristocrat, yeah, yep, not, moving on. The political philosopher Alexis toured the U.S. in the early part of the 19th century. After his travels, he wrote the acclaimed book, De la Democratie in America, Democracy in America. I guess I should have just read the parentheses. His astute observations of the country led to several predictions about its future. One was which the rival rivalry between America and Russia, stating that the two countries would hold the destinies of half the world in its hands one day, which I guess is pretty true. It was an unusual opinion for the day as both Russia and America saw Great Britain as enemy at the time. Both countries were also on opposite sides of the world, each with plenty of land to expand within. However, it says his last name. I don't want to keep butchering it. Alexis saw the problems that could arise from different ideologies and believed that the two were on an inevitable collision course. Over a century later, the world would indeed hold its collective breath as the two superpowers locked horns during the Cold War, providing Alexis was spot on. That's uh, pretty insane that, God, I'm so, I don't know why I'm like so freaking stuffy right now. Right before I started recording, like my freaking nose plugged up and I'm like, oh, this will be great. I just kind of sound like this all the time. But yeah, sorry guys. We're going to power through it because that's what we're here for. Pretty fucking wild. 
to walk into a place and be like, yep, these, these guys are fighting. And a hundred years later, they're like, you remember that one guy? Like that'd be, it's kind of insane to predict. Uh, I don't know. Not insane. It's, it's insane to predict a war like that and just kind of see the science coming so early. And it's like, uh, I don't know. So early in its life cycle. So number two, Mark Twain prediction, 1909, Prediction, his own death. So this is the one I was kind of like, eh, well, you know, until I kind of read a little bit of it. Better known by his pen name, Mark Twain, Samuel Langhorne Clemens was born in November 1835, a short while after Halley's Comet had made an appearance in the sky. In 1909, the Huckleberry Finn author was quoted as saying by his bio- or, yeah, biographer, Albert Bigelow Payne, I come in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt, quote, Now, here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. Sure enough, on the 21st of April in 1910, just one day after the famous comet reappeared, Mark Twain passed away from a heart attack. That's a fucking wild shoot for the stars. Like, what and who's to say that he didn't basically manipulate his and to make sure he went with the comet but you'll never know you know what i mean unless we time travel and see uh that it was no i mean i don't know i wouldn't see a reason except for validation to whoever i guess but man i am so it's like it's like i turned a microphone on and my nose holes just like closed uh, number three, Nikola Tesla prediction day, early 1900s prediction, Wi-Fi, mobile phones, and the internet. Serbian American Nikola Tesla was not only a remarkable scientist and inventor during his lifetime, but also a skilled futurist who made several correct predictions about the advancement of technology beyond his time. In a 1909 interview with the New York Times, the acclaimed physicist predicted the invention of Wi-Fi and mobile phones decades before they were created. It will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can own and operate his apparatus. And in the interview, or uh, sorry, yeah, bleh, another interview in 1929 seemingly predicted the creation of the internet more than 50 years before it came to fruition. When wireless technology is perfectly applied, the whole earth will be converted into a huge brain. We shall be able to communicate with one another instantly, yeah, <clears throat> irrespective of distance. So, wow. I tell you what, that is a whole, that'd be a really good episode too, just to talk about some of the things that Tesla invented, some of the things he went through in his life. Um, <clears throat> you want to talk about just somebody that was like a, I don't know. Just uh, well, it's like one of them superhumans, man. Like you talk about he having superpowers. That guy had a uh, super brain. So here we are. We're gonna go moving on. Ferdinand Fock, which was F O C H Foch Fock. I would imagine it's Fock. I don't know. Prediction date nineteen nineteen. Prediction World War Two. Ferdinand was a French general who served as a supreme Allied commander during World War One. Many historians regard his contribution to the war effort as integral in ensuring victory. A skilled military thinker, Foch was, or yeah, Foch, that sounds better, was a key negotiator at Versailles after the German surrender. He believed that only a complete occupation of the Rhineland would protect France from future German aggression. His demands were ignored. Displeased with the outcome of the Treaty of Versailles, Falk proclaimed during its signing, 
This is not a peace. It is an armistice for 20 years. Nearly exactly 20 years on the day, the German aggression kickstarted World War II, proving Fox's prophecy to be correct. Another uh, another war prediction, man. I'll tell you what. Pretty wild. And, you know, that's honestly one you could, like, predict. And then, um, that I mean, saying 20 years is pretty ballsy. That was that guy's life mission. He's like, all right, whatever I got to do, I got to make sure that in 20 years I start this war back up. Uh, John Elrith Watkins, prediction date 1900. Oh, excuse me. Prediction photographic technology. A relatively unknown American engineer by the name of John Elrith Watkins wrote an article called What May Happen in the Next 100 Years. He penned it in December 1900, with many of his ideas being incredibly far-sighted. One such prediction was the invention of a new photographic technology. Photographs will be teleported from any distance, he wrote. If there be a battle in China 100 years hence, snapshot of its most exciting or striking events will be published in the newspaper an hour later. Photographs will reproduce all of nature's colors, which uh, that's true. I mean, you literally, you literally don't go anywhere now without, uh, I don't know, without somebody having a phone out, without somebody recording something, without there being a camera somewhere. Watkins was demonstrating incredible foresight, as not only was color photography still very experimental in 1900, but the idea that a camera could transmit images across the world was beyond what anybody was saying at the time. So yeah, he's basically like, you know what, that thing that you, you know, you Snapchat your significant other or friend or whatever all day, send pictures back and forth. This guy back then, 1900, was like, hey. This fucking shit's coming, dude. How do these people even, you know what I mean? Like, I guess you almost feel now that the time and place that we're in in the world. Now, if you're trying to <clears throat> make a prediction, you know, like what the, what, these guys are like, oh, we don't have fucking pictures or technology. Us now in the year 2024, we're like, you know, when are you going to be able to look through your Apple Vision Pro and see a fucking taco on a commercial and pull a fucking taco out of the out of the headset. You know what I mean? That's like, man, I, I predict in the year 2100 that it'll be holographic food. You'll still have to pay for it, but essentially you'll be eating nothing. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's my prediction, I guess. I don't know. I'll have to pin that up sometime. Uh, anyway, number six, Robert Boyle. Prediction, mid-17th century. Or, yeah, that was the date. Prediction, organ transplants. Okay. Harold is one of the founders of modern chemistry. Robert Boyle created a wish list during the 1660s as he helped found the Royal Society, now Britain's National Academic of Sciences, or I'm sorry, Academy of Sciences. The list was documented in his personal journal and was quite remarkable given the fact that he was writing in a full writing in a time before the world science before the word science was even coined and magic was still very much believed in one of his standout predictions was that the organ transplant he wrote the cure of diseases at distant or help by transplantation the first organ transplant was in 1954 some 300 years after boyle's prediction pretty uh pretty wild can you imagine being like no if Almost knowing all this shit and these people are like, oh my God, he's like that fucking magic man wizard over there. You can't believe anything that that old loon says. It'd be like fucking trapped in your own hell. Uh, Jules Verne, prediction 1865, or the date, I'm sorry, mix it up again. The prediction, the moon landing. I'm putting my own quotes on this. Ah. 
whilst an English author H.G. Wells might have the greatest acclaim to the moniker the father of science fiction. French novelist Jules Verne's can't be that far off, famous for his books 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from 1870 and Around the World in 80 Days, 1872. He also penned one called From Earth to the Moon in 1865. Writing over a century before men actually landed on the moon, Verne's story detailed the accomplishment with astonishing accuracy. Not only does he predict the achievement, but included some calculations that would later prove incredibly close to the real figures. He also included several other details that are remarkably accurate. In his, in his book, the rocket launch is placed in Florida, which is now the site of the Kennedy Space Center, where the famous Apollo missions were launched from. Okay, Vern was also, play, also placed the crew member at three and called his spacecraft Columbiad, the real Apollo 11 command module name, but yeah, God, was named Columbia and its crew size was three. Finally, the astronauts returned safely to Earth in Verne's novel by parachuting into the sea before awaiting rescue. <clears throat> the crew of Apollo 11 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean, aided by parachutes and similar, similarly awaited rescue. So, uh, wow. And I, there's a lot of shit with the moon landing and all these people. You know, a lot of people say it's fake. I don't believe a whole lot of any of the truth in it really with the moon landing, but that's a discussion for another time. What we're going to do now is we're going to go to break. We come back from break. We're going to read some more predictions, man, because I'm hungry for some more futuristic knowledge. All right. I'll be right back guys. I'll see you in a minute. All right. We are back for more predictions of the future. So this one is off of Reader's Digest. This is uh, 10 crazy predictions that actually came true. So, I, I mean, I love these little lists, man. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a lot to, like, pull off from to talk about, especially with, you know, dealing with future events and foreseeing the, I don't know, through the veil of reality, to the through the simulation into the coding. Yeah, because uh, we've already talked about how fucking big simulation, the big robot people, aliens slash gods, I don't know. Who knows at this point? You know what I mean? The world's so wishy-washy that it's hard to tell. Anyway, back to our list. A prediction that I did not... I didn't... Yeah. La, 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 la. Something I did not know that was predicted was the Titanic tragedy. Journalist William Thomas Steed doubled as a psychic, launching his own supernatural magazine, Borderland, in 1893. Strangely, Stead's claims of clairvoyance... Yeah, clairvoyance might not have been so far-fetched. He wrote in an 1886 piece of fiction detailing the tragedy of a ship sinking without enough light boats with the editor's note, this is exactly what might take place and will take place if liners are sent to sea short of boats. Another short of Steed's short stories from the 1890s describes a rescue mission after a ship hits an iceberg in the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, those stories mirror the sinking of the Titanic in 1912, with the lack of lifeboats resulting in about 1,500 lives lost after the ship crashed into an iceberg. But even weirder, Stead was a passenger, or was a passenger on the Titanic and died in the tragedy. Find out some, yeah, that's that's pretty fucking insane. He's like, ah, you know, one day these things are going to kill people, and he's like, but I'm going to be a part of it. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. I did not know that somebody predicted that. I mean, that's kind of a bold, uh, that's a wide, bold statement to be like, oh, you know, because when you think about uh, tackling something as vast and as large and as scary and as unforgiving as the oceans of the world, you're going to just 
I don't know. It would make sense to me that you're going to expect that shit's not going to go great. You know what I mean? You're especially to people that have never traversed the open waters of the ocean. I mean, I'm included in that group, but I can only imagine I've said, you know, I've seen enough videos to know that I'm not built for the wide open ocean and being on it because it is fucking terrifying out there. So yeah, you never know what uh what monsters are lurking in the deep. All the ones we've talked about and the, all the ones we haven't talked about. That's what's the scary part of it. Anyway, Siegfried and Roy Tiger Attack in the night. And this is one. A couple of these we covered because it was kind of fell under the Simpsons prediction thing. But uh, you will still circle around back to or circle back around to it. A 1993 Simpsons episode included a spoof of Siegfried and Roy, a Las Vegas show featuring German-American illusionist duo Siegfried Fischbacher and Roy Horn. The Simpsons version, Gunter and Ernst, ends with one of the entertainer's tigers mauling the pair. Tragically, that attack would become a reality 10 years later during an October, or yeah, during an October 4th, 2003 performance, a tiger attacked horn leaving him partially paralyzed and ending the show for good yeah the tiger said i've fucking had enough dude that's one thing that i've never understood man um domesticated pets one thing people thinking that fucking wild animals or pets like like a tiger like come on dude like i get that it's a big cat i'm a i'm a probably one of the biggest cat people ever in just in the world and well because you know my cats but you know what I mean? Like I, I'm a big advocate for pets. My wife is a huge nature lover, pet saver, animal, animals over people type of and like you. If you know the people that are listening that that know me uh, more personally and know my wife, you guys will definitely understand. For those who don't know, imagine like the anybody that you think of is a pet person times that by about ten. That's my wife. She doesn't care what kind of animal it is or what the the preface or whatever she would help it so um but yeah people thinking that these wild animals dude that are there's oh yeah this giant fucking cat that'll rip my face off and rip it to shreds but you know he actually really loves it when we keep him caged up and you know what i mean like come on dude that uh that's not i it once i i feel like that was not a prediction but just like uh that's one of those things that's gonna happen you know what i mean Hey, we're moving on to number three on this list. Trump's presidency. The Simpsons have predicted have have. Yeah, God, uh, bird or bird. You know, I, I figured since I would like chill out on the recording and do it once a week that uh, I would have less stutters. No, nope, I sure don't. Um, especially when I'm reading stuff, it's like my brain doesn't, my brain works faster than my mouth and I just can't even seem to stop it. The Simpsons have been credited with other scarily active, Accurate predictions, including March 19, 2000 episode in which Bart envisions Lisa as a future U.S. president, mentioning her predecessor, President Trump. The show wasn't the first to predict Donald Trump running for president, though. In 1999, Rage Against the Machine released its music video for Sleep Now in the Fire, and one member of the crowd holds up a sign reading Donald J. Trump for president 2000 the band didn't prove a rare clairvoyance though trump has been toying with the idea of a presidency since at least 1987 these innovations and historical events that were predicted more than a full century before they happened are even more impressive um yeah they're just trying to downplay the prediction of that which whatever it, it, i don't know if from a the simpsons are fucking freaky about shit dude just saying man and the fact that uh 
the Rage Against the Machine music video. I feel like that was just like a like a fucking punch that happened to be right. You know what I mean? Like a stab in the dark. I don't know. That's just kind of what I feel. Uh, news on iPads in 2001: A Space Odyssey. Author, yeah, yeah, God. Author Arthur C. Clarke imagines his astronaut reading news from Earth on a device called a newspad. He would hold on to the front page while quickly searched the headlines and noted the items that interested him. Each had its own two-digit reference when he punched that in. The posted postage size stamp size rectangle would expand until it neatly filled the screen and he could read it with comfort. Clark writes in 1968, decades before the 2010 introduction of the iPad, which is eerily similar. It's so similar, in fact, that when, a- yeah, that when Apple sued Samsung for ripping off its tablet idea, Samsung argued that Clark came up with the idea way before Apple. Clark even hit the nail on the head over the type of clickbait the minute-to-minute news cycle would produce. The world of wonderful means of communication, the more trivial, tawdry, or depressing its contents seem to be. Accidents, crimes, nature and man-made disasters, threats of conflict, gloomy editorials, these still seem to be the main concern of the millions of words being sprayed into the ether, he writes. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, you know what? One day we're going to have a future where everything will be in the palm of your hand. And he's like, oh my God, yeah, really? You think so? And he's like, yeah, but beware. It's going to be a giant pain in the ass. And he's like, well, why? He's like, because everything you try to look up, if you don't pay money, they'll just throw windows up and there'll be these tiny little X's that you can barely click onto. And it says, no, I don't want to subscribe. Or, you know, dear God, please don't sign me up for a fucking email address where you'll send me the deals of the week. No, Jesus. It's just like, it's insane. Why do we even want the future? The guy's like, I don't know. You got to understand. There's a lot of cool shit. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Pretty insane. I can only imagine the guys at like a fucking giant lawyer meeting, right? Here's all the CEOs from Apple versus all the people in Samsung. And they're like, the Apple people are like, well, you know, technically we designed the iPad. The our designs go back as far as, you know, five years before I released when we was in the prototype stage. And all the Samsung guys are like the cool IT, like, you know, think they're better than uh, regular class nerds. They're like, whatever, dude. Like we, like you can't, it's nobody's idea, man. That guy on that fucking movie, he had a, or wrote that book or whatever it was, had the idea first. So, bleh nerds like that's how i picture that like i don't know how is that even a how is that even a valid court argument somewhere a judge was like man you know he's kind of fucking right <laughs> oh my god anyway here's a here's one that i a lot of these on this list i did not know were predictions um aside from the simpsons one you know obviously we know the simpsons are right about everything uh, Ebola in the United States. The Ebola outbreak in West Africa it was publicized in March 2014 but no confirmed U.S. cases have been announced until September 30th, considering it takes almost a week to write, animate, and produce a South Park episode. Conspiracy theories flared when it's gluten-free Ebola aired just a day later. Still, the plot centers around the town giving up gluten, not catching Ebola, and it wouldn't probably wouldn't have been hard to change the title so last-minute conspiracy theories. Are, yeah, that was That's kind of funny. I remember that episode of South Park, actually. I feel like I just watched it not too long ago. But that's, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, that if, uh, you know, unfortunately it's not really held as a, as high as like some of the Simpsons predictions. Once South Park gets, South Park is just known for just saying 
fuck off, dude. You know what I mean? The whole cancel culture and then the, the whole, all this bullshit that's going on. And you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, they've, you're never going to get rid of those guys. You can't. They are a force to be reckoned with, man. Movies on streaming and DVDs. In a 1987 interview, Omni Magazine asked film critic Roger Egbert to predict the future of TVs and movies. His response, you'll not go to a movie store, but instead order a movie on demand and then pay for it. Video cassette tapes, as we know them now, will be obsolete, both for showing pre-recorded movies and for recording movies. People will record films on 8mm and play them back-to-back or play them back using their laser disc CD technology. Video on demand was introduced in the 1990s and eventually gave away, gave away to Netflix and other streaming platforms, which are improving major competition with cable TV. Work inventing CDs for movies starting in 1986, but the standard DVD, as we know, wasn't introduced until 1995. Now, of course, now even those are being replaced with Blu-rays. And honestly... The uh, you know, back then he's like, uh, nobody will play on cassettes, but CDs, you'll have all these CDs and it'll be just as tight. And everyone now is like, dude, fuck it, we don't need cable, you know, why? Because it's too much money and it sucks. The only people that like, I feel cable is just like one of them fucking like sucker bills, you know what I mean? Like, you can watch most of your TV streaming or whatever site. A hell of a lot cheaper than cable would ever be, considering, you know, if you have your internet or, you know, even if you hotspot off your phone, whatever the case is. Like, it's just, uh, it's kind of insane to me. Um, uh, let's see here. 49er starting player. As a fourth grader, Colin Kaepernick wrote a letter predicting his future and got it spot on. The elementary student said he'd be somewhere between six foot and six foot four. He's now six four. And because he was a good athlete, at that point, that's like quoting, it must have been what he quoted in his journal. At that point, he figured he'd play pro football for either the San Francisco 49ers or the Green Bay Packers, even if they weren't good in seven years. Fast forward to 2011, the Kaepernick was drafted to the 49ers. The next year, he would still, or I'm sorry, he would become a starting quarterback. Yeah, and uh, I wonder, wonder if he predicted all the shit that was going to happen too. I predict that I'll be a quarterback and then, you know, I'll do a bunch of shit, and then never be, I don't know, relevant again? <laughs> Ooh, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I am a sports fan, but I don't know. I didn't, I don't know much about the, the, the Kaepernick shit. I know, I mean, obviously I know some of it, but not enough to really give a shit about. Anyway, on to the next one, the BP oil spill. In the 1970s, BP released a board game called BP Offshore Oil Strike. Players took on the role of oil tycoons racing to get the most product to their countries and their way hazard car or I'm sorry and their way were hazard cards with perils such as blowout rig damaged oil slick cleanup cost pay 1 million sadly that it wasn't all a game a BP oil explosion in April 2010 killed 11 people leaked 3.19 million barrels of oil into the Gulf of Mexico and cost the company 61.6 billion making the 1970s pretend catastrophe look like a blessing so if you want to know how much water how much 1 gallon of oil harms water Let's see, here we go. Yeah, yeah, my fucking Google search. One gallon of oil harming water. It's a, I'm about to blow your mind. So one quart of motor oil can pollute 
up to 250,000 gallons of water. One quart of motor oil, 250,000 gallons, dude. That is insane. If you want to talk about ruining a lot of water, it is insane. I could not... Hold on one second. Here we go. Back to the... Uh... Yeah, can you imagine? 60... 3.19 million barrels of oil into the Gulf. God, that is insane to me. All right, I believe that's all we have time for this week. I was going to keep on keeping on, but you know how it be with the time limits and junk and stuff. Jeez, I got other things to do, like try to fucking beat Baldur's Gate 3 so I can finally finish playing it. Maybe start playing something else, like another save of Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, man. So thanks for listening, guys. It's been Friday. It's been awesome. It's still Friday, I guess. So yeah, tune in to me where you can... Oh, God, here we go. Let's you know back this up. Tune in to Rockhound Radio where you can find me anywhere you find your podcast and on Facebook and on TikTok. So yeah, reach out, say what's up. We're here. We're just uh, hanging out doing podcast stuff. You can also find me on the Drunken Spear tabletop and gaming and RPG where we're playing the tales of Odd Lig, where I play a lizard folk wizard named Rango, who is a time wizard that uh, I'm fucking show up, roll up, and fuck up, dude. But honestly, I'm probably like the most, you know, the coolest player in the party and at least like the most level-headed, you know, the most, the least hungry for power, so on and so forth. It's a little bit of Rango leaking into my persona, which is, you know, alternatively me. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I will see you next week. Same time, same place, same podcast. Thanks for listening.